Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on this show, on this Monday, we are going to look ahead towards the 2021 off season. I think this is probably a bigger storyline right now than a recap of the 2020 year. And if you're looking for that podcast, that will come later on this week when we look back at the season that, that just happened for Oregon. Was it a success? But we're going to look ahead here for a second. We're maybe going you know, about things backwards, but I think this is the bigger storyline from a fan interest standpoint right now. And we asked you, the Duck fan, uh, earlier this week, after this Fiesta Bowl loss, what what are the things that stands out stand out to you? What are the major storylines for the 2021 offseason? And wow, we <clears throat> we got a ton of responses here. Um, a, a lot of good stuff, a lot of discussion points that Eric and I felt like we needed to discuss and you know flush out a little bit because there are a lot of moving parts now going into Oregon football's 2021 offseason as they gear up for a year in which they're going to try and three-peat as Pac-12 champions. All right. Should we start with some questions, Matt? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First from at Douglas TS. These are all from Twitter, as Matt said. And these are fourth, or I guess a couple of things that Douglas is hoping to see uh, or, or focused on this offseason. The four-man quarterback competition, major O-line improvement needed, and coaching needs to improve. Let's just tackle these each kind of in order here. Um, we don't know if it's going to be a four-man quarterback competition. I don't know if we can say confidently right now how many players are going to be in this because we don't know, A, is Anthony Brown going to stick around? We don't know, is Tyler Shuck is going to stick around? I think he will. I think his comments suggest that he could, but both players could in theory move on. One or, one or both could. Ty Thompson is enrolling. He is certainly a, a player to know, but as we've established on previous podcasts, a tough ask to think, a true freshman can come in and, and open the season as a starter in a program like Oregon. And then there's a Jay Butterfield, who I assume is the fourth player. Doug Scott is, uh, is mentioning here also Robbie Ashford and, and Kale Millen on the team as well. Um, certainly that is, I think a great place to start because the reality is it was very clear in the Fiesta Bowl and certainly in the Pac-12 conference championship game and I'd even say, even though we didn't Cal. see a second, yeah, we didn't even see a second quarterback, but it was pretty clear in the Cal game that Oregon had some some issues. And that was, I think, where we first started seeing kind of some of those concerns rear their head there was Tyler Shuck was just really bad in that game. And he never really showed. I'm trying to think about this, Matt. I don't think he threw a touchdown pass since the first half against Cal, did he? No, he did not. Oh, no, he threw, he threw a touchdown pass to Hunter Campmoyer in the Pac-12 championship game. Okay, you're right. You're right. The first on the early in the first half. So he threw one touchdown pass though over the course two and a half of the, games. Of, yeah, the final ten quarters of the season. So um, that wasn't good enough. That's not good enough. And Oregon does. I agree with Doug here. We don't know if it's going to be four quarterbacks. We don't know if it'll be three, if it'll be two, or if it'll be more than that. But certainly, like the big storyline this offseason is what the heck are you doing at quarterback? And is the team's quarterback even on the roster right now? I asked Cristobal that post game. Um, and, and I, 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 I think I phrased it in a way in which, Hey, I'm not trying to call out Shuck. I'm not trying to call out Anthony Brown, but we don't get to watch practice. So maybe Tyler Shuck is just significantly better in practice than Anthony Brown. Um, maybe Anthony Brown struggles in practice with consistency. I don't know. Or maybe Shuck is just consistently better 
in practice than what we see in games. And so I phrase that by saying, we don't get to see what happens in practice. And maybe one guy is considerably better than the other in, in practice, but in games, it feels like it's pretty even. And so I asked him, is this Tyler's job going into the off season or is it a quarterback competition? And he said, it's too early to, to decide one way or the other on that. He said, they have a lot of confidence in Tyler. They have a lot of, they're excited about Anthony Brown. And then he says, so a lot of different situations, talk about them, try to settle them down. There's no shot at doing that. Not even close. You have a guy who's a sophomore, a guy who's a senior. You have guys that are granted extra years. There's a lot of moving parts to this thing as well. We have good players on campus. We have an elite quarterback coming in, probably on campus right now. That's a reference to Ty Thompson. And there's also a lot of moving parts to this, but we feel confident in the quarterback room. He could have come out and said, Hey, this is Tyler Shuck's job to lose, and he didn't. And if you and let's be clear, if he would have come out and said that, that would have contradicted a lot of what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Yes. And it would have been puzzling and honestly, I think a little discouraging and damning on Mario's perspective if he did come out and say, No, this is Tyler Shuck's job, because what we've seen, and I, you know, and I, we've both been on the Tyler Shuck who's going to be a Oregon starting quarterback for the foreseeable future bandwagon for a while. I'm officially like taking myself off of it. It doesn't mean I think Tyler doesn't have the potential to be a quality quarterback. I know we saw flashes early in the season, and you can't eliminate that. But the reality is the way he finished the season just wasn't good enough. And if you are sitting here and if you're in Mario Cristobal's seat and you just signed a huge contract extension um, and you know how talented this team is and you say, this is Tyler Shuck's job, period, I think you're doing the program a big disservice. You need the competition. And frankly it would be kind of disconcerting if you endorsed a quarterback who's played so poorly um, over the course of the final, like we said, two and a half games of the season. I mean, Chuck just hasn't been good enough to receive that kind of vote of confidence. So that's where things are at there. And I, I think absolutely that's the place to start in terms of looking at 2021 is what is the situation at quarterback? And I think the, the crazy thing was probably right up until about Thanksgiving or right around Thanksgiving of this. There wasn't season, a discussion. There was no discussion. It was okay. Tyler Shuck, he has some faults, but this guy is going to be the long-term guy as long as he's here. And I know there are some fans who would say retroactively that that was incorrect and they saw some flaws in his game early and he wasn't perfect. And it was all about the scheme, et cetera, et cetera. I, I call BS on that. I'm not going to actually say the word that, that naughty word that Matt said on Saturday, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, that's not what that's not what our eyes saw early on in the season. Like he wasn't perfect, but this was a young quarterback who came in and had some great moments, both as a passer and as a runner. I, I had a couple of friends who are fans of teams not who are in the Pac-12, but not at Oregon, text me and say, "Uh-oh, he looks like a problem." I mean, that was the perspective. And you looked at the stats leading up to that point, and he was legitimately like a Pac-12 offensive player of the year candidate through even four games because the Oregon State game, his numbers weren't bad. So this is a puzzling situation and it's frustrating. This is where we are, but certainly there is an open quarterback competition. It'll start in the spring. Kai Thompson will be on campus. I think he's already arrived. Um, and we just have to wait and see what Anthony Brown does. I assume Tyler Shuck will stick around, but what he does well, when we get some official word there, or if we do, that's a thing where I don't think we hear anything unless he decides to transfer. I don't think he needs to reaffirm his status on the team at this point, but who the candidates are is the next part. Um, the major O-line improvement needed, I don't disagree there. I thought that was a group similar to the quarterback position where it started great, did not finish very well. Um, kind of hard to really point your finger exactly what went wrong here. I think maybe you look at it and go, was the six-player rotation on the offensive line 
something that you can really, can you really do that? Is that something that makes sense? Is that similar to what we saw at the quarterback position where you just in the last game where you're rotating? Is that something that you can really do and have some success? And that ties into the third part here. The coaching needs to improve. I don't disagree with that. And we should note that as we're recording this, Oregon's defensive coordinator, Andy Avalos, is uh, certainly a candidate to be the Boise State head coach. And I don't know, like, I don't know how much likes this has, but maybe Joe Moorhead's name will be attached to other places. So like the coaches improving thing could be kind of difficult to accomplish unless you just go out and, and, and find more home run hires, which I'm not discounting Mario Cristobal can do because he's done a great job of that in the past. But um, I think the staff does need to be reshaped in some ways. And I know we can maybe talk about that in further detail in, in future podcasts. It's an interesting discussion point because I think, the O-line the last two years was absolutely stellar. Um, and part of that was because of the continuity. And you, you kind of wonder, you know, Oregon did the last couple of seasons, Oregon did not do any kind of rotation along the offensive line. The, the, nope. the real only opportunity for someone to get in was if there was an injury. And oftentimes it would go to Brady Aiello, who – was a veteran, a guy, he had like 20 starts to his name before Mario Cristobal became head coach um, at Oregon and, or 15 or so. And so, you know, you knew what you had with your sixth man and Oregon didn't really rotate a seventh or an eighth or a ninth offensive lineman. And I understand, you know, that ninth guy probably is really stretching it in terms of really, you know, putting guys in, but we didn't see a ton of rotation um, even in blowout situations. And I, I kind of wonder if that maybe slowed the development of this year's offensive line group a little bit because they had just one start in Stephen Jones, which came in 2018 and Penny Sewell being on the team and this year would have changed everything for offensive line. But I look at this and think if Jones maybe played a couple more snaps every game, in 2018 or in, in the games that he was playing in 2019. Malasalo Mave played in just two games for Oregon in 2019 before redshirting. He could have played in two more. Um, Alex Forsyth has used his redshirt and could have, you know, what would it be like if, if Forsyth, granted he's he plays center but this year, but what if he was playing, you know, 10 or 15 snaps more a game at another position going into the year. Um, TJ Bass is a newcomer, so you, you can't really factor that in. Ryan Walk was a walk-on the last two seasons, so uh, I don't think there's a, a real focus there. But you had, I think you had some opportunities to develop some guys just a little bit, get them a little bit more uh, game experience so they're not as green going into this season. And then you're right. I, I think the rotation helped you because of COVID but it probably stunted the growth a little bit from guys, you know, solidifying their spots in a position. And do you continue to do that in, in 2021? Um, or, or do we maybe go in and, and, and see the staff solidify positions? Hey, you're here, you're here, you're here, and you're not moving. Yeah, I think those are interesting points. And, and I think certainly things that will need to be discussed, obviously, during the offseason and then during fall camp, which is seems like months away, but well, I'm sure we'll arrive sooner than expected or feel like it'll be sooner than expected. All right. Now, next one from Caleb Knox. The major storyline will be the quarterback battle. 
underrated storyline will be roster construction. Which seniors come back? Do any juniors opt for the draft? Which freshmen from this class earn playing time? Um, We've already discussed the storyline for quarterbacks, so I think we can yeah, skip we'll just We'll skip by that, and we'll skip by There's quite a few comments here, as you'd expect, about the quarterback position. Let's just let's jump through that, but let's go into which seniors come back. Um, this is something we don't have answers to, but it is huge. We know, we know Jordan Scott's not coming back. We know he's not coming back. We've got a couple of other seniors who are on the record at least saying – that they haven't decided. And, and that would be Diomede Lenora and, and Johnny Johnson. Both of them spoke with press before um, the Fiesta Bowl. No seniors spoke with press after the game, besides Jordan Scott, who of course we already know the answer to. And I'm guessing that might've been somewhat intentional to just shield them from those kind of questions. But this is huge. Um, there's a lot of seniors that, that not a lot, but there's numerous seniors that play key roles and have a chance to, to solidify that. I look like a guy like Hunter Cantmoyer. As a, as a real big candidate, George Moore. I think those two offensively, along with Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red, obviously, are, are players that, hey, you bring Hunter Kantmar back, you now have a, a, a really strong... I mean, I don't know if this is what... He was one of the biggest surprises of the season. I don't think anyone would argue that. I think coming into the year, it was a... If, if, if Hunter Kantmar is the primary tight end, Oregon's probably in trouble. And then he was the primary tight end and Oregon Oregon's lack of success offensively has absolutely nothing to do with him. In fact, you go watch the block he threw for Travis Dye on that, that first scoring drive, and it was incredibly impressive. And you go watch the way he caught the football this season. It was incredibly impressive. I can't think of a single drop pass that was his fault. So if he returns, that would be big. Same thing with George Moore as one of the tackles. And then obviously those two receivers. Defensively, what does Austin Fallu do? I would assume he probably is going to put his name into the draft. I know he just had um, he just gave My birth child. to his first child. Uh, you know, he didn't give birth. His, his wife gave birth to their first child. Um, and he obviously was along with Jordan and Diamador and Thomas Graham, players that really considered going pro. It would make sense that he would leave. Um, and then you got a couple guys in the secondary with Diamade Lenore, D.D. Lenore, I guess is what we're calling him this year. And then Nick Pickett. What does Nick Pickett do? Um, that, Jordan Happel, we should note, has already said he is coming back, the grad yep. transfer. So, you can, so he you would can, go again. If he leaves, he'd go against the previous decision that he made at the beginning of the year. And I don't see why he wouldn't want to come back unless right. he's just done playing football. So those are the seniors that I think are kind of notable. And then you look at some juniors that might opt for the draft. And I think obviously the clear one is, is a CJ Verdell, but boy, did his season, that was about as underwhelming a season. I know there are Does he get picked if he comes back, if he goes pro? Like, I, 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 I don't I, know if he does. I think it's a legit question. And I think, so I look at that and be like, if I'm CJ Verdell, I'm probably coming back, but that's a big decision, certainly. And that decision. That's, I mean, that's going to be like, you look at this and that is going to be one of the more difficult decisions, not just at Oregon, but I look at this and think across the country in terms of draft eligible guys and, and like there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's guys that you're like, okay, uh, there's ones that are players where you, you, you say there's absolutely no reason for you to go pro you, you need to come back. And then there are guys where it's absolutely go pro. You have no reason to be coming back to school. And then there's that, that group where you're in, in the middle and it could go one way or the other in terms of, is it, is it smart for you from a production standpoint to come back? Like, what are you going to gain from another year of, of playing? And I, I look at this and think Verdell is going to be a guy that's going to have an incredibly difficult time figuring out what he should do 
because you look at his his <clears throat> you look at his career. 2,523 yards, 21 touchdowns, 2,523 yards. He is currently eighth all time in program history in rushing and rushing uh, yards. His career carries is through the roof right now with 464. And so it's like, how much tread does he have? And you don't want to waste any limited amount you have in college because you're not getting paid. But boy, have you shown enough to justify getting drafted? Like, because of your injuries and yeah, this right. season it was just not good. Well, well, what's the NFL perspective on his health? Of like, literally, he's been in the program now. This was his fourth year in the program, including his redshirt year, and he's had injury issues every year besides his his redshirt freshman year. I mean, he, he redshirted because he had concussion issues. He had he, he missed numerous second halves. His redshirt sophomore year. And then this year we all know what happened. So I think that's a big one. I can't think of a lot of other players that are juniors who might make that decision. I guess maybe an Isaac Slade Matoatia could in theory have that sort of consideration. Um, I'm thinking about other players on defense that, that really fit that mold that I think could be draft eligible that are enticing enough. And I really am kind of coming at a blank there. Um, I guess there are a couple offensive linemen that were like junior college guys, like would Malasala Amavelialu in theory, would he say, Hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to go pro. I don't know if his draft stock's good enough. Um, so like, I really don't think there's that many juniors that might opt out, honestly. And then the third part here, the which true freshman, I am assuming this is talking about 2021 players rather than 2020 players already on the team. Um, and I don't, we don't want to run through every position here because we've got more questions to answer and we don't want to make this like a two hour podcast, but um, let's just run through a couple here that, that makes sense from the top. I mean, obviously Ty Thompson's name is going to be talked about a lot. He's going to be on campus. I look at these receivers and depending upon what Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red decide to do, and that ties into the earlier part about seniors mm-hmm. coming back. Um, that could be a big opening. Same thing with the Hunter Campmeyer. I think if he were to go and just say, Hey, my career's done. Um, that opens the door, especially for uh, Maliki Mataveo and uh, Terrence Ferguson as possible players. I think offensive line, it would be hard for me to see anyone starting just because they do return all six of those guys we talked about in that rotation in theory. George Moore, I guess, could go. Um, and if I guess if George Moore does go, is it as simple as, okay, well, now Stephen Jones is your left tackle, Malasala is your right tackle, or does that open the door for a Kingsley, a really, really highly regarded, the top-rated offensive tackle recruit Oregon's ever signed, including players like Penny Sewell, um, to maybe he can have a shot at starting there? I don't know. Um, defensively, there aren't quite as many dudes, I guess. Um, like, could a Keith Brown be someone who could get some immediate playing time? Like you would, you would maybe think so because you look. Well, at what the, about the return of Justin Flo? Like I was just, I was just gonna out. Say, that was my point. I was going to say you just look at the bull game and you go, well, they were playing a walk on in the second half. Well, that's because a guy like Justin Flo wasn't healthy, um, and that would have been a half. If Justin Flo was healthy, that second half there would have been his first opportunity to really get a bunch of snaps because he was behind ISM all season, and yet he's not available and he didn't get to play. So um, I don't think there are too many other guys in, in terms of freshmen that are coming in. Um, from this class that I really look at and go like, this is a really highly regarded class, talented class. But I think that from a positional perspective, Oregon just doesn't lose it very much. So unless one of these guys is just an other, cal- you know, an other world caliber player, which I think there's potential for, I just don't see these guys stepping on campus and starting. Like, I-, I would probably put the over under at the 2021 class starting, let's say over half the season in 2021 at like one and a half and maybe take the under. Like, I think it's going to be a class that's super talented and, and really has uh, impactful from a depth perspective, 
but I don't necessarily think I expect like, Hey, they're going to jump in. Um, and suddenly you're going to look at the offense and it's going to be like five of them are true freshman starters. Hey, I'm going to give a hot take here. I think Kingsley Salamatia starts day one for Oregon. Ooh, that's scalding over. I assume at left tackle, left tackle or right, probably okay. left 35th best player in the country. The sixth best offensive tackle, a guy that's got the size right now, the athleticism right now, the strength right now, the play for Oregon. And I don't think the 2020 version of Oregon football had an athletic freak at left tackle. It doesn't even have to, I'm not even saying it has to be even close to the same stratosphere as Penny Sewell, but right. I just don't think they had the agility on the blind side for the quarterback that they've had the last couple of seasons, even before Penny, even with Tyrell Crosby. I, I think I think George Moore and Stephen Jones are more right tackles than they are left. I think Malasala is more guard than tackle. Um, and so I, I think the door opens for Kingsley to come in and be a day one starter uh, for the, for the ducks. I mean, just think about this is his scouting report from Blair Anguillo, um, our mountain region recruiting analyst for 24 seven sports. Strong frame with broad shoulders and long arms, stout lower half and high upside build without bad weight, nimble offensive tackle with mobility, agile and athletic out of his stance, sets a strong base and quick to react to counter moves, blocks through the whistle, can easily offset speed rush to the outside, does well to knock back defenders at point of attack, could continue to improve toughness and maintaining leverage and run block game, potential multi-year starter, all-conference type performer, and future NFL draft day selection. Um, that was evaluated back in March of 2020 before a senior year that was so impressive that had him shoot up the rankings for 24-7 sports. I just think his athletic ability, his, his ability to handle the speed rush off the edge, which was an issue all year for Oregon, is going to put him into the starting lineup. And I think he will be the freshman that plays along the offensive line probably immediately. I agree with you. We could see like a Bram Walden. We could see maybe a, a Jonah Miller um, push their way into the offensive line later on in the year. But I think going into the season, Kingsley Salamatia will be a starting offensive lineman week, week one. Third point from Andrew Miller. As much as I think Cristobal has it, going in terms of recruiting and fundamentals, especially when it comes to line play, he has to be more aggressive in game. When the tide turns, know how to adjust and to be more aggressive. And I think we both agree with this. I thought this was something that was, it didn't cost them the game because frankly, the game didn't, and I don't think entirely come down to not going for it on fourth down. I thought this game came down to the fact that you made five costly mistakes that, that resulted in 17 points for Iowa State in terms of turnovers. I mean, those were just, you can't do that and expect to beat a good team. But I don't disagree at all that throughout the course of his career, Cristobal has not been a very aggressive coach in those situations. And we should know it, it didn't bite them today or today um, on Saturday, Saturday because they did go, they did punt it on fourth and two and they pinned Iowa State and the defense held. Um, and I, I think. But I think in general, I agree that there seems to be, from an in-game perspective, if there's an area for improvement for Mario Cristobal, it's there. And we've seen it over the course of his tenure, and it's cost Oregon games before. Um, the most glaring, of course, was the Stanford game 
in 2018, where the clock management issues was frankly pretty appalling in terms of they basically could have run the clock out and won the game. Instead, CJ Verdell fumbles it and Stanford gets it with about what 40 seconds to play. Yep. Comes down, kicks a field goal, and they won in overtime. <clears throat> that was just a uh, just terrible. Um, I, we haven't seen anything quite like that from a game management perspective. I think you could point to, you know, even the Oregon State game and the way the timeouts were allocated there that basically gave the offense no chance. You know, I know we wanted to trust the defense, but that defense didn't really look like it was deserving of trust. So I think there are there are a lot of things where you look at Coach Cristobal that you'd like to see improvements in. Um, I think we mentioned the other one here in, in the basketball podcast is just there's almost a loyalty to a fault with the players you select as the starters and a inability to really quickly make that pivot to somebody else. And you saw that, I think, at quarterback. You saw that at place kicker. I think we've seen that to a certain extent with the offensive line. And I know he wants to, and something they talked about is they always want to find roles for players on the team. And I know I'm kind of off on a slight tangent here in terms of we're not talking in game, but we'll come back to it. But this is just something else I've noticed. Um, he wants to find roles for players, but I think that can be a deterrent if you move away from the better players to try to find a role for somebody who quote unquote is deserving, but on game days doesn't show it. And I, so I think there's a lot of things that he needs to improve on. I do agree though. I know Matt wrote a, a column after the game on Saturday about this in particular about making in-game adjustments. So I'll toss it his way to kind of finish this point, but I don't disagree at all with Andrew's point of, there are some holes to Mario Cristobal. I think he's the right coach. I think from he's right in terms of the recruiting, the building the, the program up the right way perspective. He's done a fantastic job. But I don't know. I, I, I will, I'll say this. I think when the game gets close and it's tight and you have to make some of these tough, tough decisions with the clock winding down, I don't know if Mario Cristobal has really earned everyone's trust to make the best decisions there. I think it boils down to you need to make a decision and stick with it. Um, that was my column about the, the Fiesta Bowl was they went in with Tyler Shuck being the starting quarterback. They planned to give Anthony Brown one, you know, some reps in the first start series, their first series in the second quarter, and then goal line short yarded situations uh, throughout the game. And we saw it play out and then they went away from it and stuck with the hot hand. But then when Anthony Brown cooled, it's like, okay, when you make that decision, to go with the hot hand, you're done. Like there's no more changing. You've, you've deviated away from the plan. It needs to be Anthony Brown. And then they opened the door for Shuck. And it's like when they put him in, they just handed the ball off and it's unfair to Tyler. And then, you know, they went back to Anthony Brown and then they went back to Tyler Shuck. And that, at that point, your offense is completely derailed. You, you've killed any kind of rhythm, any kind of momentum. Two quarterbacks is not one quarterback. Um, I agree with the risk taking. Um, there are instances in which look, no one is sitting here and saying that you need to be like Chip Kelly and go for it on fourth and two from your own 38. Like, like, like when it's just an automatic go, like no one is saying that. And that's not fair to crystal ball um, and, and, and such, but in a game in which it worked out or in a game in which in the third quarter, you're at midfield, it's fourth and two or fourth and three. And you elect a punt because you want to pin them down and it worked out in that situation, but everything leading up to that, there wasn't a lot of confidence that that was going to actually happen because in the entire first half, Iowa State just chewed up 
time. Uh, and, and their first possession was half the first quarter. It was yeah. just, I mean, you, you don't have a lot of possessions and time was not on your side. And so who cares if you don't get it and they go down and score, I would much rather them score in three minutes because they had a short field than them going down the length of the field and scoring, or maybe they don't score, but maybe they go the length of the field and miss a field goal and they chew up six, six minutes of, of time, seven minutes of time. You needed possessions. And I think that's where I, I think you need to learn to be a little bit more risk, risk advantageous of, of being able to go out and say, Hey, we have a good defense. We're going to lean on them. We're going to trust them that they can get a stop because we're going forward on fourth down. I mean, there was a play in the third, in, in the third quarter, I think against USC, they, it was a fourth and seven or a third and seven. They ran the ball. They got like five yards. It was a weird play to run the ball because Hey, if you're going to punt, why are you running it on third and third and seven, third and eight? And, but if you're going to go for it on fourth down, that's actually a, a, a smart play call. And they ran it. They got six yards. It was like fourth and one, fourth and two type of a situation. And the camera panned to Joe Moorhead as the offensive line and the offense was coming out. The punt team was going in and he had this look on his face of like, wait, I thought we were going for it because I wouldn't have called that play if we weren't. Like if, if, if they got like one yard or two yards, then sure. Yeah. You punt the ball. But if you get so close, go for it. Take, take a little bit of risk. And I also think having a kicker now might solve some of these decisions where if you know, you can go out and throw a guy out there and Henry Cattleman, when it's fourth and two from the 30 yard line and Henry Cattleman can just punch in three and three, give you three points, like nobody's business that makes the decision-making a lot easier. And it's also easier to, to accept when, Hey, we're not punting on fourth and three from our opponents, 36 or our, th- our opponents, 35. We're, we're kicking a field goal and we're taking three points. That at least helps, but I agree. He needs to become a little bit more aggressive and, and less safe with his play calling. Next one from Sean Goodbody. And I bet that guy better have six pack abs with the name. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it there. All right. Uh, he's got three points here. A couple of them we've already touched on. Kayvon Thibodeau, about to have a monster year. Need a new era at running back and need a four-quarterback competition. We've obviously touched on the last one already, so we'll just kind of um, acknowledge that point earlier. Um, Thibodeau having a monster year, like, I, absolutely. I, I think he is clearly developed. He's their star player on defense next he's year. star player on defense, and he already was this year. And I look at him and say – okay, we knew he had incredible upside as a pass rusher. And we saw that at times this year, obviously the USC game being the most clear example. I also think we saw him so much better on rundowns. Um, I thought he was a real three down player. And then the other part that I thought, think was really exciting. And I think maybe gets lost for fans that don't pay as close attention. He was clearly the team's defensive leader by the end of the season. And Oregon needed that. We talked about that throughout the year, especially defensively, like, they need somebody who's just a dog out there. And they didn't have that. That had been Troy Dye in the past. That had been Thomas Graham and Javon Holland in the past. They needed someone to step up. And I thought Kayvon Thibodeau did a great job of that. I think cemented himself as the defensive leader going into 2021. And this next step for him, I think, is to add a little bit more weight. I know he, like I said, he's good on rundowns, but there are times where he does get washed out of some plays. If he can maybe add 5 to 10, 15 pounds, that'd be big. Um, 
absolutely, I think he has a potential to have an All-American first-team caliber type of season. I know he was a third-team All-American from the AP. I think the upside is there for him to be even better, for him to win Defensive Player of the Year in the conference, for him to be... I mean, let's, let's just be honest here. It's going to be his last year at Oregon. He's yeah. not, not a player who comes back for four years. Kayvon Thibodeau is a three-year college player. When you sign a player who is the top weight recruiting program history, a number he's two. He's a three-year player. Not going to stick around much. He's not going to stick around for four years, just like a Penne Sewell. So the next year is his last year. I expect him to maximize it, make the most of it. Um, and then I'll, I'll, real, real quick about Kayvon. Um, they, he needs help. He... He is a potential number one draft pick, but no player in the country. I, I mean, I can't think of a player in the college football the last six, seven, eight years on defense or any position really that can dominate so much without, with, with, without a strong supporting cast. I think Oregon needs to give him some help. He needs a, 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 a bash brother, if you will, on the other end spot other rush rush edge spot that teams just can't say, Hey, we're going to double team cave on Thibodeau because we know the other side of the ball won't be able to get any kind of pressure on the quarterback. If, if Oregon is going to have cave on Thibodeau get double teamed, they need to have the stud or the other defensive end wreck havoc. That guy needs to be able to be able to disrupt offenses just as much as, as cave does. Cause he's, he can't do it himself. Oregon can't go out in 2021 and say, Kayvon Thibodeau is our one and only true rush edge guy that's going to be able to generate a ton of pressure. I don't know if Oregon could, could say in 2020 that they had a consistent edge rusher after Kayvon Thibodeau. There were guys that had moments, but none of them were able to do it consistently. Yeah, I think Brandon Dor- Dorliss was the player who felt like he was closest to being that kind of second banana, if you will, yeah. uh, of just that next guy who can help. Um, but you're right. And I, I think you want to see some improvements from the second level too, to help him, right? Yep. Linebacker, Justin flows being available will be big. Um, the emergence even more of Noah Sewell of Mace Funa, who I was critical of earlier in the season. Didn't think he played well. I he think got he better got, as the year went. I thought he played really well. And especially the last couple of games, um, in the last three, including the Cal game. So you need improvements there. I, I think you're right. He can't do it alone. I think you're going to see a front seven here that should be really, really good entering next season. Part of it's going to come down to the interior stuff as well. Um, do you want to address the running back stuff or do you want to jump to the fifth question? Let's here? jump to the next one. We kind of discussed a little bit at running back already. All right. From Ryan Johnson, <clears throat> Oregon in 2020 will see two quarterbacks in the transfer portal, replace two co- coordinators, finally have a starting quarterback that fits the, st- the scheme and style of their OC, have two freshmen start on the O-line, finish nine and three with a holiday bowl victory. Um, that would make them 10 and three. I was just going to say, and then the see replace two coordinators. It's hard to replace two coordinators and find a quarterback who fits the scheme and style of their offensive coordinator. I guess that's assuming that the new replacement coordinator will, the quarterback will fit that scheme perfectly. There is also a special teams coordinator, which I think will be changed. Very fair point, Matt. And I digress there. So I guess if we're assuming it's, going to be Andy Avalos as the defensive coordinator being replaced and Bobby Williams as the special teams coordinator. Let's, let's actually touch on that part, the special teams. Cause we haven't talked about that. And that was, boy, that's a glaring issue right now. It's a real, real issue for Oregon is they just, they're not well coached in, the, in that facet. And I thought yeah. it was very clear over the course of the season that that was becoming more, exploited. And more of an issue. And it became, 
a thing that in part cost them games. It, it didn't bite them as bad as it could have against either USC or Iowa State in terms of those kickoff scenarios because I don't think the defense gave up. They gave up three points, I think, combined in those scenarios. But boy, you can't make those mistakes over and over again. And it just doesn't seem like that group made any progress over the course of the season. There was no explosiveness in the return game, period. Um, there, and part of that, you can say, is personnel-related. Part of that is also, why did you go away from Mikhail Wright? And I was messaging Matt and Kevin on Slack during the Fiesta Bowl of just like, and I don't want to, Chris Hudson's a young player, a lot of promise and excitement. He is nowhere near as explosive in the return game as a Mikhail Wright is. And, you know, it's the final game of the season. As they say, you can't hold anything back. And I think that held something back there by making a change. And Mikhail Wright was healthy. He was playing every down on defense. He obviously was in on punt coverage, as we saw, or a punt return, you know, as we saw. Um, why was he not returning kicks? Um, and I, again, I thought Chris Hudson was fine. He didn't, like, fumble any of the kicks, but... He was not quite as explosive. So I, I agree with you, Matt. They need to find a new special teams coordinator. That probably means that Bob Williams is no longer on the roster, as you say, from a coach perspective. But that just wasn't good enough. And I think it's imperative they find somebody else there. And I don't know who that's going to be, but they, they, that has to improve. Real quick, will it shock you? I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm going to predict two quarterbacks are in the portal. But would it shock you if we see multiple transfers at the quarterback position? I wouldn't be shocked. No, because here's where I look at it and I go, the reality is I, I think pretty clearly Anthony Brown's not coming back based upon some of the comments we saw from his quarterback coach. I don't know if you want to dub, jump into that too much, but his quarterback coach basically was saying he's not coming back. That didn't bode Hit very his well. line if you're interested in him playing for your team. Yeah. So there's the, yeah. Um, so I think you can get, there's one. And I think you look at Kale Millen, who's playing special teams because he's so far down the quarterback depth chart. You look at Robbie Ashford and Jay Butterfield. And I know they're just redshirting freshmen this year, but the reality is Ty Thompson's going to arrive on campus and he's going to, I think the expectation is jump those guys. And immediately he's a younger player. Why are you going to stick around at a school where you're behind in theory? Maybe, maybe we'll be surprised and maybe they'll be better than we expect. But the reality is, is that you've got a roster that's going to have a lot of young quarterbacks. And we just saw it happen at Washington. We're basically Sam Heward's coming in and all the other quarterbacks on scholarship that weren't starting or, you know, in position to, to really play behind Dylan Morris jumped ship. And I think you're going to see something very similar here. And I don't think Tyler Shuck's going to leave, but I think Anthony Brown takes off. And I think you're, I think probably one of those other three red shirt slash true freshman quarterbacks also jumps ship and goes, Hey, um, between Tyler Shuck and Ty Thompson, I'm not playing anytime soon. And Ty Thompson's younger than me. And even if Tyler Shuck is the quarterback in 2021, Ty Thompson's going to be his replacement whenever Tyler Shuck is not the quarterback. And that means my job here is basically obsolete. Next question. All right, let's jump into the next one from Alex Simpkins. Who is quarterback one? If Avalos goes, what's the defense look like? Which of the big recruits makes an immediate impact? We've kind of answered the first and third one there. Well, I, I want to say, I think Tyler Shuck will be day one starter okay. going into 2021. I don't think Ty Thompson will win the job going into the year. Um, that being said, 
it wouldn't surprise me if we see um, what was the quarterback's name at Clemson that Trevor Lawrence replaced? Um, something Kelly, right? Kelly, Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant. It would not surprise me in the slightest bit if Tyler Shuck is the day one starter, but Ty Thompson plays or Jay Butterfield plays. One of the younger guys also plays that week one game, maybe gets in a little bit against Ohio State week two. And then if 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 Shuck is not getting it done through those first two weeks, it would not surprise me in the slightest if a change is made prior to the third game of the year. Um, I, I think Shuck wins the job outright. Just knowing Crystal Ball leans towards experience, leans towards his, he's always typically a safe guy, right? Like makes the safe decision. Tyler Shuck is the safe decision until you know more about what you have behind him. And they don't know that yet. And so once they get more data on that, then I think a true decision will get made. Uh, just a point here, and I don't have this exact data, but I did during the Fiesta Bowl ask, when was the last time a true freshman quarterback started the opener for a season at Oregon? And the answer... It's not seems, Justin Herbert. seems to be Bill Musgrave in 1987 um, is is kind of the consensus from those. And I didn't... It wasn't... I didn't come from like... Patrick Pearson, Oregon Sports Information Director, or anyone like that, that came from a, a handful of of, uh, of my followers on Twitter. So, it, and if it's not Bill Musgrave, it's further back. So you're talking about 30 plus years ago that the last time they started a true freshman quarterback, Ty Thompson certainly has a lot to overcome to be that right away. And again, I don't want to diminish what Ty Thompson is. I just think you have to be realistic about the path it typically takes to get to that point. Um, it's it's really it's really hard to answer the if Avilos leaves what defense looks like unless we know until we know who the defensive coordinator is. Um, we know what the personnel should look like, and I think the front seven should be good. I think the secondary should be good. I think the talent should be great across the board. But I have no idea really of how to assess what the defense looks like until we know who the new coordinator would be, what his schemes and formations have looked like at other places. So that one's kind of impossible to to really answer. Next one from Quacker for Life. Need a full strength and conditioning and spring practice. Build on leadership of Tibbs and Sewell and find some leaders in offense. Hard to make adjustments based on a season that was so on and off so many times due to poor pact of leadership. Larry Scott needs to go. I still believe. Um, I think really good points here. I think it does get lost a little bit that Oregon's entire offseason was completely different than it normally would be. They had four spring practices, no spring game. They did not have the full fourth quarter uh, strength and conditioning program during that part of the year, or even during the summer fall camp was pushed back and condensed. Um, even when the season took place, obviously it was half as long. So like you can look at this season and just say like, it is kind of a crap shoot season. Um, you know, you can talk about poor coaching talk about, the team not improving and making mistakes in, in the bowl game, which you would, that are very uncharacteristic of a team that has made improvements over the course of a season. All of that is fair, but it all has to at least acknowledge the fact that, Hey, this lead up to the season was so different than past year. So it, it is crucial. And the expectation right now is that that will be the case. Some of this will be related to how quickly, I guess the, the vaccines are distributed around the country and how quickly things go back quote unquote to normal. But the expectation, at least from our perspective right now, is that we will have a full spring practice, the full fall, the full summer, all that stuff leading up to a September, a September start where Oregon will play um, at Ohio State. So I, I agree with that point in terms of it is important that they have that 
Um, I think the leadership part is crucial. I think defensively, I think those are the two guys, Thibodeau, Sewell. I'd throw McHale right in there, I think, as well. Um, maybe even, oh, Verone McKinley clearly is a name that you have to acknowledge in the secondary um, in terms of leadership. I think offensively, yeah, like who, who emerges Who's the there? leader on offense? I don't know if you could say that this year. I, I don't know. I would, I would say Alex Forsyth's name was brought up certainly a lot. I think in terms of skill guys, like a Johnny Johnson for sure is a name to know in terms of leadership, but like, I don't necessarily know looking through the rest of those guys. If I go, Hey, that guy's leader, this guy's leader. And really it needs to be the quarterback. And that's where Tyler Shuck seemed to compose himself well in post game interviews. But I mean, I hate to say this, but part of it is like, if you don't play well in the field, it's really hard for there to be respect earned amongst your teammates. And by the end of the season, and I can't speak to this because I'm not on the football team. I do wonder how much respect he really had from his teammates or if there weren't teammates that were saying he's just not playing good enough, especially receivers and tight ends. He's just not playing very well. And it's hard for me to really respect the quarterback when he can't get me the football and he makes it difficult for us to win games. Leadership is going to be a big one. They're going to, they're, they're, you've nailed it on the head. Um, where I think <laughs> all those people that were in the NFL sphere last year that were talking about Justin Herbert's lack of leadership abilities, um, I think, and this is unfair to Tyler Shuck and the rest of the quarterback room, but that's the nature of the position. You're the most talked about, the most debated, the most heated, most discussed position group, and you have the most important role, fair or not. Um, cause you're kind of a de facto coach, um, the voice of the team, the face of the team, like there were no doubts last year that if the offense was in a rut, Herbert would get the team either by himself or through his leadership out of that rut. And I think we're seeing the importance of his leadership, his calming manner, his ability to keep everyone cool and keep everyone level-headed and, and going in the right direction. Uh, you know, play out this year because how many times did did we see receivers just visibly upset at on routes when they were missed? Yeah, fair yeah. or not, like that's going to happen. That happened to Herbert, okay? But it happened a lot more. There was a lot more of just the clear, visible frustration and the lack of execution with the offense by the receiving core, because those guys can get open as much as they want, but if they can't get thrown the ball and it, it doesn't matter how good you are at running routes. If you can't get them the football, they are dependent the most out of any other position on the football team of another person's ability to also execute. hundred percent. And I think you saw that frustration, especially I think back to the game against Cal in the second half to just, how many times did I see players just throw their hands up in the air? Like I was open and you couldn't hit me. I even think, and it wasn't Tyler Shuck in this instance, but Anthony Brown missing Devin Williams for what should have been an easy touchdown before the half Devin kind of going like, just put it in play. If you put the ball in play, it's a touchdown. I had my guy beat by 10 yards. All right. Next one from Colby Trujillo defense performed well, considering they were on the field for the entire game. QB is open season, young defensive stars. We have a kicker, no attempts on fourth down when it, when it counted offensive calling was minimal and didn't get involved with the playmakers. How many of the incoming recruiting class will make an immediate impact? 
Um, we've kind of touched on a lot of this. I do think we should. There is one thing we should talk about. And I think it's offensive calling was minimal and didn't get the ball to playmakers. Um, it felt like in that Fiesta Bowl game in the first half, Oregon was able to execute downfield with both quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They took shots downfield. Um, it felt like early on in the season, the first three or four games, they took a lot of shots downfield. The play, the, the creativity within the play calling was tremendous. And then in the second half of the Fiesta Bowl and the second half of the 2020 season, that kind of disappeared. Like, how much did we talk about Devin Williams' big play threat down the field and his his height and his, you know, just throw it up and let him go get it? We didn't see that really the rest of the year, almost, after UCLA. I think that needs to after, be improved. After, after Oregon State. After Oregon State, sorry. Yeah. No, no, you're right. I, mean, I just pulled up Devin Williams's season stats at Oregon here, and he had those two 100-yard games against UCLA and then nothing. Oregon State, and those are breakout games. He had two catches for 22 yards the rest of the season, and those were against Iowa State. Um, he didn't play against Cal. He played against USC, but the passing game was completely defunct, basically just didn't do anything. And, and then he did have the two catches for 22 yards against Iowa State. And we mentioned a second ago, he had a chance, I think, to score a touchdown. Not a, not a chance. He would have scored a touchdown with a, just a decently thrown ball there. Um, and I also want to acknowledge the kicker part of this question or this, of this post because, hey, Henry Cattleman drilled a 47-yard field goal. And not only did he hit it once, he hit it twice. And that, and that followed another just instance of poor game management from the coaching staff where Mario Cristobal inadvertently ices his own kicker. <laughs> Mike Hawk runs down and he has to use a timeout. I mean, like this stuff was bad, but Oregon has a kicker, Henry Cadman, four for four this season, hit two over 40 yards, hit a 47 yarder there. He also had like a 41 yard extra point. This guy has some leg and some distance. And we talked earlier about how that might impact an offense, having a kicker you trust. Oregon now has that. Oregon has yeah. a a kicker and Henry Cattleman who for all intents and purposes looks like the best kicker Oregon has had in probably half a decade since Aiden Schneider and maybe has the upside here to be, I know this is a question somebody asked a couple of weeks ago and I felt like it was a little tongue in cheek about is he the best kicker in program history. I won't go that far, but if he can continue to hit kicks of 47 and longer and he starts hitting 50 yard kicks, you can throw him in the discussion. He just hasn't had the experience to do that, but we saw at least one example in a small sample size of him going out and doing that. So, um, Oregon does have a kicker that gives them a chance to to uh, to make to just score points when in past they would have had to either go for it or in Mario Cristobal's unfortunately punt it sometimes take a you know take a delay of game and punt it from like the thirty five. Next one from Zacher fumbles and special teams lost the game. Not enough game winning plays and other aspects of the game to make up for them for a scuffed COVID season being in the championship and bowl game is a blessing for a young team to get playing time. Quarterback, running back will always be the story for next year based upon the frame. Sorry, and the fame of those positions. DB, O-line, D-line is what I'm looking for next year. Linebacker seems young and full of stars. Wide receiver, tight end seems better than previous years with some young stars, but could still use another stud. Um, A lot to break down here from this one. And I think we've touched on a lot of this. Um, But do you look at, let's just just go here. The, The positions that he says Oregon needs to improve upon, quarterback, running back, Defensive back, offensive line, defensive line. Do you think all of those groups w- would that be your five groups? I guess to just highlight that they need improvement from, or would you kind I, of focus on others? I think you need consistency at running back, whether that's Verdell being healthy or exploring what you have with 
uh, Sean dollars because I don't think Cyrus Abilakio and I, it sucks because I think Cyrus Abilakio is an ultimate team player. I think he's a really good dude, but I think he's kind of maximized what he can do within the Oregon offense. Agreed. Um, like, like I don't know if he can expand his game anymore. I think Travis Dye is a very good number two running back for a team that wins the Pac-12 consistently every year. But I don't think he is your definitive number one guy. Like, can't, I don't, I don't think you can yeah. go and, and give him 20 carries a game. No, um, That's just not his style. And so I, I do think if Verdell can't stay healthy, you need to, or if he leaves... I think you need to figure out, hey, can Sean Dollars be the primary ball hand, ball carrier? Can Trey Benson be that guy? What do you have in Javon Wilson? Why has Javon Wilson not played? He's a big back. Um, will Seven McGee be that guy? Well, do you need to go out and find a transfer? Do you need to go go out and you know sign a, a high school guy? Um, so I think the running back spot can be improved. Quarterback, yes, that needs to be improved. Um, O-line, yes, that needs to also be improved. D-line, I, I, they have the superstar. I think Popo will be really good at defensive tackle in place of Jordan Scott. And it's just, can you find one more guy to be that edge rush type guy? I think Dorless could be there. I think maybe Swinson, um, Christian Williams, and, and Ware Hudson are both solid emerging younger guys along the D-line as well. Um, you've got enough guys there where I feel like something will happen. Um, DB that's hit or miss. Like, I think Michael Wright is really, really good. I know he is. I, I, I know Verone McKinley is really, really good, but I think Jordan Happel was inconsistent. I think Bennett Williams was inconsistent. Um, DJ James started to get better and really got better at the end of the year. Jamal Hill, same thing was kind of shaky early on, but I think the last two games were tremendous from Jamal Hill. Um, but what do you have behind those guys? Cause it's evident you need more than five guys. So yeah, I, I would probably say DB also needs some depth improvement, not may- maybe necessarily their starting improvement, but you know, the second unit. Yeah, we should note that, uh, the last three games of the season, um, Jordan Scott did not start at nose tackle and it was a combination of Falu, Doralis and, 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 uh, Christian Williams making starts there over Popo. So I think that the, the, the front is really interesting in terms of how that plays out. And do we see some of these, some of these guys that didn't play much this year? I think Braden Swinson emerged too. Um, that's a position group that I, I, I'm really curious to see develop in the offensive line. I know we've touched at it and, and quarterback we've touched at uh, in great detail linebacker, same thing. I, I mean, I think you just look at all these position groups and you go in theory on paper, there is reason to be excited, but there's a lot of unproven talent, even though almost everyone comes back. A lot of it feels unproven. At least it feels like you can't point to it and say they are absolutely money there. Like I don't, I think the position, honestly, it's crazy. Uh, and, and I graded it this way all season. The position groups I think were the best all season were wide receiver and tight end. And those groups did they have very few drops, thought they blocked really well. I thought when the passing game was effective, they were dynamite. And that group's just going to get better with the players they brought in in this class. And if they don't lose Johnny Johnson, Angela, and Ryder, they lose one of them, or even if they lose them both, I still think that's a really high upside group. I agree. Running back, quarterback, certainly defensive back positions that you kind of need to figure out some stuff at. All right, last question here before we end this. This is going to be a full hour plus, <laughs> which is, hey, that's not a bad thing at all. This has been fun. Um, really good stuff here from our followers, and we'll definitely have to keep doing 
We should know real quick on the podcast, breaking news. Diamond Lenore just said he's uh, leaving Oregon. He's not coming back. Well, just, just announced it literally. Okay. Um, Hayden Alberton. The Ducks have to get more creative in the run game. Too predictable. Also, why did the team stop airing it out? There were no deep shots in the second half. Easy to defend a team that can't challenge you downfield. Also, two quarterbacks never works. Um, Hayden, I have a hard time really arguing any of these points. Uh, you know, I think why did they stop airing it out? I think it was in part just because they kept making changes at quarterback and <laughs> like there was no c- consistency and comfort level. And I, I do think I made this point on Saturday and I think it's fair of like, part of me thinks Iowa state goes, okay, we've seen Anthony Brown play, but he basically was running short yardage or throwing short passes we haven't seen him throw the ball downfield. So the drive where he throws for 90, you know, they, they move it down the field 99 yards for the touchdown. I think there was a sense of like, can he do that? Oh, he turns out he can. Interesting. Now we have to make some adjustments. They made adjustments. Oregon continued to use Anthony Brown. And I understand that after he has that kind of a drive, it's kind of hard to take him off the field, right? It would be like if you had um, a guard in a you know last two minutes of the second half of a basketball game hit like four threes and then you don't play him to start the second half. It just wouldn't right. make a lot of sense. Kind of makes sense. You have to play him. But the reality is Iowa State made an adjustment and I think Oregon really had a difficult time kind of countering that chess piece move from, from John Heacock, Iowa State's coordinator. So that would be my response to that. I agree with the two quarterbacks never works 100%. I think there's one thing we learned this year and I think we learned a lot and more certainly more than that um it's you can't try to be a championship caliber team or even a team that beats good teams in bowl games if you have two okay quarterbacks but not one good one and that's what Oregon had this year they had two okay quarterbacks two serviceable quarterbacks didn't have a single good one and if you don't have a good quarterback you got to pick one of the serviceable ones and see what you have there rather than trying to make changes like that. You got to just roll with the guy, you, you know, and if you, and if you think it's Tyler to start the season, you realize it's not three games in four games in, you got to make the change. And I know this is a tough spot here because again, this is, this was the tough balancing act. The staff had to do of we're weighing the big, the long-term future of is Tyler Shuck going to be our long-term starting quarterback against the immediacy of Anthony Brown. And ultimately I think they played their poker hand wrong. Um, I think they played, they had, they knew their whole cards and maybe they feel like the whole cards changed slightly. You know, maybe they felt like they thought they were dealt pocket Kings and it turns out Tyler Shuck was more like a nine, seven offsuit. Um, and, and they, they went, Hey, well, Anthony Brown is a 10, eight suited in diamonds. I don't know. I'm just throwing poker hands out there <laughs> <laughs> randomly, but like they thought, okay, well maybe Anthony Brown's a little bit better by that point it's just too late to make a change and you either you stick with Tyler or you just fully go Anthony Brown. And, and I think hopefully, and I'm expecting that you won't see two quarterbacks next year. And if you do see two quarterbacks early on, it'll be with a full experimentation of who is the better quarterback in live game reps. And maybe that's the big thing from Oregon staff to learn is you didn't give Anthony Brown any opportunity against Stanford or against Washington state or against UCLA. I know some of those games were close, but the Stanford and Washington state games, at least you would have had an opportunity, maybe give a series or two um, to just see what you had and you didn't do it. And I think that ended up costing. This is the reason why you have to finish games strong, right? Yeah. Like you have to put away when you, when you go up multiple scores and then it's a three or a four score game, this is why you have to keep that consistency and that 
uh, attention to detail through all four quarters because you need those snaps, whether it's the last two possessions of a fourth quarter, or maybe if you get lucky and you go into a fourth quarter with a four score lead, you can throw in some of your backups and give them reps and start evaluating them in game situations to understand what you have. And maybe that guy overwhelmingly exceeds your expectations and it goes, Hey, maybe he is better than the guy ahead of him. Maybe we need to give him a little bit more opportunity to play. Um, And that's where those games against Stanford against Washington state and against UCLA, Oregon had opportunities to blow them out and truly just blast them. And they didn't, they couldn't capitalize. Now that's part of the process of a young team. Remember, this is the youngest team in the power five. It's part of the maturation and the growth of a young team is learning to play all four quarters and finishing off an opponent strong. But that when you don't do it, that's, these are one of the ramifications that you get hit with when you do wonder and find yourself in a situation later in the year where it's, do we need to make a change? Well, I don't know. We don't know what we have behind this guy. And when the staff is already kind of safe as it is, and and they don't want to make a ton of 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 mistakes and and don't take risks. They don't need to. And I agreed with this decision of not playing Anthony Brown late into the year until it was clear you had to. That's why these games, these blowout games, these non-conference cupcake games that fans don't like, these are why those games are important. And I also think that moving forward, um, you need to be able to go into a situation where in 2021, you've made your decision at quarterback and you may change it later on in the season, but you need to stick with it and don't flip flop. You can't have what happened in the Fiesta Bowl happen week one, week two, week three. You have to go in knowing you have confidence in that, in that starter week one. And if you do need to make a change, that guy doesn't play again the rest of the year because Eric, how often have we seen it play out, right? Where, they make a change at quarterback and then they go back on their decision and put in the original guy and that team have a championship season outside of injury. I can't think, I can't think of one. I can't think of one. So if you make a change at quarterback next year in 2021, mid season, it has to be that guy the rest of the year. You like when they went to Anthony Brown in the, in, in the second quarter, against Iowa state and they kept him in again, he should have played the rest of the year of the game that we should not have seen tower shock fair or not. And I think it's unfair to shock, but we should not have seen him. And so you go into this thinking, if you're going to make a decision on who starts, you can't, this is the problem with recruit. This is a good problem to have when you recruit at such a high level, you can't please everybody. That's why, like, not to flip scripts here and change sports, but Dan Altman talks a lot about how, as a, as a program, to have success, you have a ton of really good players on your team. You need those some of those guys to accept the fact that, you know what, I want to score 20 points a game and be the primary ball handler, but there's also a guy that's just as good, if not a little bit better than me, and he's won the job. And my role needs to be, I need to play 10 minutes, and I need to play really good basketball for 10 minutes. And I need to accept that. And I do. I need to embrace that. I think next year, the coaching staff, you, you need to understand. I, I don't, 
I don't know. I'm not saying they for sure did this, but it just feels kind of this way towards the end of the year. They were trying to keep everybody happy with the offensive line rotation, playing Anthony Brown a little bit uh, and, and going back and forth with Shuck, um, the running back rotations, you know, not having Michael Wright return kickoffs towards the end of the year and having other guys who aren't as explosive. It feels like they were trying to keep everybody happy. I'm not saying that's what they were doing, but from an outside perspective, that's what it looked like. And you don't win games that way at a high level. You get the team to buy in. This is your role. And unfortunately, maybe you don't get to have the starter role that you wanted. But if we're going to have success, we need you to be just as as jacked up to be the backup receiver or the primary punt returner or the backup quarterback as you would have been being the starter. Because if you aren't, that can kind of create some tension and, and keep us away from our bigger goals of winning a title. So going into 2021, you need to, to distinctively figure out who is what and stick with it. And if you do make a change, you can't go back on that change. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to this long one. It went a little bit longer than expected, but nonetheless, a ton of information that, that we were able to, to touch on, a ton of good comments and and thoughts going into this game, uh, going into this offseason for Oregon. And hey, uh, we have a, a ton of opportunities to continue this discussion, and we will continue this discussion with more um, in the next couple of weeks, days, months, as we get ready for a 2020 offseason for Oregon football. Talk to you later, folks.